Today's episode is brought to you by Get Your Guide. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? There's an easy way to do that. Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. No matter where your travels take you, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor, featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. Uh, Today, this is an exciting uh, entry in the Weird House Cinema catalog because we are going to be covering our first film from India. It's always fun when we can um, dive into a new film culture, a new uh, national film tradition. And uh, I know for me personally, uh, Indian cinema, Bollywood in particular, this is a whole area of film that I really don't have uh, much, uh, if any, exposure to. So I was excited to, uh, to, to, to watch this movie, research it a bit, because not only is it, is it Bollywood, it is Bollywood horror. We are going to be talking about Purana Mandir, a, if not, not only a horror movie, but like the horror movie from India from 1984. This is also my first uh, full viewing of a Bollywood movie. I've watched a lot of clips from them before. Often, mm-hmm. uh, like people will clip out really great musical numbers from them and and put them online. So I've seen uh, plenty of those. But uh, yeah, this was the first time I've seen the whole thing. But man, this movie was mostly great. At some points, awful, and really got my mind cranking about uh, the uh, what it means to have musical numbers in a film. Yes, because one of the if you don't know anything or you don't know much about uh, Indian cinema and Bollywood in particular, you you may know that there are musical numbers, some big song and dance numbers. And I think at times this can be like knowing this can be kind of like a barrier to entry. You might think, well, I I don't know if I'm up for that. I mean, I'm not a musical fan. Um, Or even if you you decide, oh, well, there's a horror genre. I want to get into that. But then you realize there are musical numbers. Maybe you're going to hold back. But yeah, it's interesting to sort of break that down. Like, well, how different is that from anything we watch over over here? You know, we we have this we have a genre of musical, obviously, uh, 
that goes in various directions. But also we have we have strong musical segments uh, in various pictures where you'll feature a particular track. It just maybe you don't have uh, characters actually singing that song. Yes, I agree with all of that. I mean, it really got me thinking, why don't American horror movies tend to have musical numbers in them? And if they did, why would we say, well, actually, this is just a totally different genre now. It is a musical. Why couldn't all genres have musical numbers? Because as you say, music features in other movies, diegetic and non-diegetic music features in, as long as the characters aren't singing, it's not a musical. But there's no particular reason I could think of why the fact that characters do sing in a movie should make that a separate genre from whatever the narrative content is. So, yeah, I think we should have more uh, fantasy, sci-fi movies, whatever, uh, horror movies that have characters singing songs because songs are great. Uh, it in Now that I've experienced a Bollywood film, it in no way takes away from my enjoyment of this as a cheesy horror movie. And I, I don't really see why you would resist. I think maybe there's one impulse that says like musical numbers could take away from the seriousness of the film. There's another that says it could take away from the, quote, realism. Uh, I'd say if you're overly concerned with either of those, maybe you shouldn't be making a a horror movie. (laughs) I think another sort of barrier to entry or sort of expectation is that might be for for many. And it was kind of this way for me is I, I expected going into a musical number to be clunkier and take me out of the picture more. And, and there are sections of the film that do manage to take me out of the picture and are clunky. Uh, but the musical numbers, like you get the impression like this, this is down to uh, like an art uh, just in Indian cinema in general. And so if a movie's going into a musical number, they know what they're doing. They like it's you're going to have a smooth takeoff and landing uh, with the, the emotional arc of whatever that particular song happens to be. Every time a song kicked in, I was like, okay, now we're cooking. Even even the kind of sad, uh, slower-paced songs. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming out of what's going on emotionally with the characters or especially towards the end of this picture with, like, the, the, the driving nature of the plot. Oh, yes, the Human Sacrifice song, I think, was my favorite song in the movie. <laughs> All right, so... Um, again, this was my first Bollywood film. I'd never watched one in its entirety like you had seen some clips. So I had to I had to do a little extra reading about everything. There's a lot of a lot of things about Bollywood cinema that I was not familiar with and just did not know about. So, for instance, uh, bear with me if you already knew all of this. But when we talk about Bollywood cinema, we're talking about films specifically coming out of the Mumbai film industry. Mumbai, formerly known as Bombay. You get it like Bombay plus Hollywood equals Bollywood. Mm -hmm. And while it's perhaps the most well-known internationally, of the various uh, Indian um, uh, film centers. Indian cinema is not a monolith. Like India itself, India cinema consists of various languages and cultures, and uh, in the different uh, cinematic uh, traditions and centers have like different strengths, different histories, and so forth. So um, with some of the various extras on the disc uh, or discs that we looked at for this, as well as some uh, some articles, um, it was a real learning experience for me to, to familiarize myself somewhat uh, with this. Uh, I mean, it goes beyond genre with this just whole realm of cinema. By the way, just as one example of uh, other film subcultures of India, I know there is also the so-called Tollywood, which refers to uh, Tollywood with a T, referring to uh, films made in the, the Telugu language, which is one of the many languages of India. 
Yeah, yeah. And then likewise, you have in, in Pakistan, you have uh, Lollywood mm -hmm. um, that is centered in uh, Lahore. I, I, I didn't know anything about, uh, about Lollywood either until I started absorbing some of these extras on these discs. But this film, uh, Piranha Mandir from 84, is very much Bollywood. It is, a, it is a Bollywood film. It is a Bollywood horror film. And it's going to be interesting to discuss exactly what all of that means, because to, to a very large degree, the filmmakers here, the Ramsey brothers, are, are, are pushing into an area that um, had traditionally been less successful and more sort of fringe within uh, Bollywood cinema. Uh, but still, it's going to have things in it that are very much part of the, the Bollywood blueprint. Uh, and that includes uh, a compelling story of star-crossed lovers, um, a fair amount of family melodrama, multiple music numbers. Now, um, I, this was interesting. I was looking at an excerpt where it was an interview with the critic Omar Khan, and he pointed out that eight or so musical numbers per movie is pretty standard. Oh, so this seems under the average, right? I think there were maybe five in this movie. Is that right? I lost count after a little while, just because I'm not used to seeing any in my, my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I saw something where he was talking about a later Ramsey Brothers film where he's like, well, there are only four musical numbers in this, which may seem like a lot to outsiders. But like, really, it's it's like a half load. But on, t on top of the music and on top of the horror, which we'll get to, we also have martial arts action. Uh, you got a little dancing. You've got some comedic segments. Uh, which um, we're probably not going to talk about too much other than to say they are, they are, they are awful. Uh, but um, uh, all of this comes together into what, what felt to me, it's kind of like a circus, right? It's like you go to a circus, there are going to be a number of acts. You may not be there primarily to see the clowns. Uh, you may be there to see the, the, the trapeze act, but the clowns are going to be there because somebody came with, with the expectation of clowns uh, within talk of a Bollywood film in particular, I've seen this described as masala film. Uh, that is, uh, you know, a reference to the spice blend. You know, you're, you're going to the theater to see this show and by golly, it needs to deliver a little something for everyone. A little of this spice, a little of that, all under the big top of, of cinema. Now, if it sounds like that's a lot to fit into one movie, it is. This is a long movie. This is definitely the longest movie we've covered on Weird House, right? Yeah, it beats out Blade by 20 minutes, which I think is it's important to keep that in mind because it's not it's not absurdly long. Like there are longer, plenty of longer Bollywood films and there are plenty of longer uh, Western films as well. Avatar 2 is longer than uh, Piranha Mandir. So, uh, you know, d don't necessarily let the length, um, you know, keep you away from the, these films. And uh, there's an intermission, too. So you got that going for you. Love an intermission. Now, the, uh, the disc we watched this on, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a full um, mention of that in just a bit here, has uh, an introduction from Indian horror expert Tim Paxton. Um, he provides the intro, and he points out that uh, Piranha Mandir is one of the most important uh, films in Bollywood history, uh, and probably the most important film in the history of Indian horror cinema specifically. Um, and the, one of the interesting things here is produced on a very modest budget, but it was a colossal hit. Uh, I was looking at some of the numbers, and if I was doing my math correctly, um, it like multiplied its budget uh, in revenue on the scale of something like Rocky or Blair Witch Project. Uh, like that level of success just did m amazing business. Have you read anything from somebody who uh, knows about the Bollywood market, like what audiences responded to so much about this movie in particular? Like why was it so popular? 
Well, Omar Khan uh, gets into this a little bit on some of the extras from this um, this Blu-ray set, and uh, a lot of it kind of comes down to to luck. You know, the, like the Ramses at this point had been pumping out horror content since '72, I believe, and none of those films had had certainly had anything like this success. But they were out there; it was on the, the fringes, you know. And so, I mean, I guess part of it is like by this point they. They definitely knew what they were doing with a number of these elements. They they knew how to put together things. They knew how to do the masala film um, offering. So they did have a little bit of, of for everybody. And I don't know, it was just like the right time. Like audiences just really responded to it. And he he described it as being like a generational date movie. Mm. Like if you if you uh, if you were going to cinemas in India during this time period, you saw this movie. And it was also he points out. You know, probably going to be especially for for how mainstream it became. It was offering things people just hadn't seen before, because Western horror films uh, could only really enter into uh, like the the, the 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 general zeitgeist there so much because they weren't coming in on like satellite TV or anything. Um, they were they were coming in on it. They weren't being shown in the theater for the most part. They were coming in on VHS tapes. And those were in rare, you know, and they were, those were hard to get. Only certain people had access to those. Mm-hmm. And so this is a film that has some really scary stuff in it. And you can just imagine how much more scary it is if you didn't have direct exposure to, say, The Exorcist or uh, the, the first Evil Dead movie or something like that. I can also see how it would be such a great date movie since it has, uh, you know, it's like it's like scary. So the classic cliches, it gets you hugging close because, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Because Sam Ray's out here about to do something evil, but it's also got a great love story. Yeah, yeah. You got again. You've got a romance at the heart of it. You've got family melodrama at the heart of it. You've got the music. You got the comedy. You've got the dancing girl. You've got all these things that that uh, that that any given viewer is going to be wanting to see out of a Bollywood film. But it's also offering something that is new, and the the newness ends up being key because this kicks off a horror boom. In uh, in India, they're in the, the Ramsey brothers end up pumping out a lot of additional horror films. They have competitors and uh, and also you know other folks just jump in to try and ride that bandwagon. And it actually they end up riding it out by something like uh, I want to say uh, ninety two. Uh, so the boom doesn't last too long, but during that time, everybody gets in there and and s- some of the films are supposed to be quite good, but there's a sort of sameness to everything. And after a while, people have seen it and it loses that that new edge that this film seemed to have. I think a similar thing happened with some of the biggest money-making horror films in the United States in the 80s also. Kind of the slasher formula got repeated yeah. and played out to death. Yeah, or the or later on, the speaking of Blair Witch, the, the found footage uh, <laughs> formula. Because, you know, that's a case where for the most part, people hadn't really seen a film like this. Mm-hmm. It was produced on a very low budget, made tremendous money, and lots of folks jumped in there to try and recreate that success. And uh, God, goodness, uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure anybody really did. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a good comparison, though, uh, only in terms of like sort of business and impact, not so much style. Uh, I think following the Blair Witch model, the Paranormal Activity franchise did pretty good. Okay, I think. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one. I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, the found footage style is obviously very appealing because it's cheap to make. But uh, when people were trying to just make, you know, cash in on found footage movies with very uninspired ideas, uh, I, I think a lot of them missed out on how creative the original Blair Witch Project actually was. 
Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of like written across the horror genre wherever you look, right? Uh, a successful horror movie comes out, and somebody's going to think I can do that. Horror is easy. Horror films can't be that hard to do, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there there is an art to it. There is a uh, there there is a certain amount of style, and then there's a certain amount of luck to hitting things just right. And that's what Piranha Mandir seems to have done. Now, let's see, just a couple of other notes. Uh, Paxton points out that this this movie, which deals specifically with a resurrected, evil, decapitated wizard, uh, does draw heavily on two uh, prior films, one American and one Spanish. 1958's The Thing That Couldn't Die, that stars Robin Hughes as the wizard Gideon Drew, and 1972's Horror Rises from the Tomb, starring Paul Nashie as the wizard Alarak de Marnac. Uh, uh, this is a film, of course, we discussed on Weird House Cinema. I did not expect that. Yeah, Paul Nashi plays the wizard. He's actually part of a like an evil sorcerer power couple in Horror mm-hmm. Rises from the Tomb, right? He has a he has like a a wife or a girlfriend who's also a powerful wizard. Yeah, I mean the thing about Paul Nashi films is Paul Nashi monsters. Um, you're supposed to feel some sort of sympathy for, you know, that's where he's yeah. coming from. He's coming from that um, that that love of um, of universal horror yeah, and, um, and and sympathy for the monster. The f- wizard in this film, Samri, is unlovable. He is just no. a complete <laughs> monster. Um, every crime that is committable, he has done. We are not meant to have any sympathy at all for Samri. And um and ultimately, I have to say, even though the early stages of the film do, like the, the historical opening does kind of mirror the opening of Horror Rises from the Tomb, it ultimately goes in its own direction um, as opposed to, to being anything like um, like a clone of that movie. Well, on one hand, yes, I agree. Samri is not sympathetic at all in terms of the narrative. He doesn't have like a tragic love story or anything like that. There's nothing likable about him except just his physical vibe, like the presence of the actor who plays Samri in the opening is so cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the performance here by A.J. Um, Agrawal is is tremendous. And this is a role that that launched him as like a true uh, monster actor uh, for Indian horror cinema. We'll have to come back to him. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to him for sure, because he's, he's a delight. Uh, there are long stretches of the film where he's not there. Uh, but uh, when he is there, yeah, he's tremendous. All right, just a couple other small points before we get to uh, the trailer, basically. Um, the film is predominantly in Hindi, though the characters do throw in a little English here and there. And the action ventures into a rural setting, so you'll hear some characters speaking another dialect or language. It's referenced in the, the Hindi dialogue as well, but I, I couldn't find an indicator of which language this is. I noticed something interesting in the movie where a couple of times somebody would say something in Hindi and then they would say the same thing again in English, almost as if for emphasis. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's like something specific to Bollywood movies or just a quirk of this movie in particular or a convention of of Hindi language in general. I, I don't know, but I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. With that, with that specifically and just generally out there, uh, we'd love to hear from listeners uh, after this episode. If you have more experience with Bollywood cinema, um, if, if you if you speak Hindi, if you uh, certainly if you if you you have experience with the theater experience of going to, to these films, um, oh yeah, <laughs> all of that is on the table. Uh, because I've I've heard it pointed out that it's one thing to watch like a Bollywood film or a Bollywood horror film uh, in your living room by yourself, but that of course was not how they intended a film like this to be viewed. No, this was to be viewed in the theater. 
Can you imagine how much fun it would have been to like see this in a packed theater of like young people out on date night? Oh, yeah. And can you imagine how how afraid people were? Uh, again, yeah. if you hadn't seen many horror films and you had to see Samri, I mean, he's he's terrifying. Almost all the time on the screen, he's at least unnerving, if not just outright terrifying. All right. Well, I mean, the elevator pitch on this one is basically it's the biggest Bollywood horror film of them all. Uh, it's the it's the granddaddy of Bollywood horror films. Uh, it's uh, your basic evil wizard uh, multi-generational family curse romance film with added music and comedy. We have a trailer here. Uh, I don't think we're going to play it all, but we'll play at least a, a nice sampling of this so you can get sort of a, an audio taste of what's ahead. all right well uh, before we go any further if you would like to watch this movie for yourself if you'd like to check out here go and see it and then come back to the rest of the episode well, you don't have to depend on some sort of uh, weird stream to view this film uh, because there's a wonderful Bollywood horror limited edition box set uh, that is out from uh, Mondo Macabro. And uh, I, I checked out a couple of discs from this, uh, the disc for this film and then a disc for another movie that had some extras on it. Uh, and we rented this, uh, these discs from Atlanta's own Videodrome rental store. It's a great print, though it does warn you that uh, there will be some variable quality in different scenes of the movie due to just like storage issues with uh, the film o over the years. So the restoration is uh, is a bit patchy in places, but for the most part, it looks great. Yeah, there's one particular I don't even know what to call it, but there's some sort of a, an error uh, in the, in the, the final print that we have have on the disc here that has almost kind of a psychedelic quality to it. And I didn't really, I don't think I'd seen it on a film before this particular um, kind of noise. So it's very watchable. Nothing, nothing in this uh, gets in the way of your enjoyment of the movie. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. 
witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, well, let's jump into the people involved here. Uh, the main ones to really highlight here are the Ramsey brothers, uh, the directors. Uh, it's, it's impossible to discuss Indian horror cinema without discussing the Ramsey brothers. Again, they had been doing this since 72, and this is the movie that kicked off an enormous boom uh, in, in, um, in Indian cinema for horror and, and even like contemporary horror movies. They still have connections to the work of the Ramsey brothers here. Mm-hmm. Now, Ramsey Brothers, I think, can at times refer to just different sons and grandsons of F.U. Ramsey. Uh, but in particular, the directors here are Shyam Ramsey and Tulsi Ramsey. Um, Shyam lived 52 through 2019, and Tulsi lived 1944 through 2018. Other Ramsey Brothers would get in on the directing game at times, like uh, Kishu and Kieran. Uh, but yeah, these are the main two we're talking about. They're the ones who directed... Uh, horror films in the early 70s, beginning with a 1972 film. Uh, and the, the, the title for this one translates to Two Yards Under the Ground. Uh, so already like kind of a grim beginning there. They followed this up with a string of horror and creature films. There's one from 82, uh, Matka Saya. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it looks interesting to me because it has some sort of a like big creature water monster in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure this one is available um, uh, widely in, in the West, but uh, I, I put it on my radar because it looks interesting. Neat monster anyway. But anyway, all of these films that they were putting out, these were outliers. The horror pictures just weren't viewed as culturally viable. They weren't seen as potentially um, uh, like anything that would make money at the box office. So it was more fringe stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of these pictures, particularly Ramsey Productions at the time, they were also pushing boundaries of what was accepted in, uh, in Hindi cinema. Um, at the time, as uh, again, as Omar Khan points out, most um, uh, Indian film viewers had little or no exposure to Western horror films and Indian horror films were barely a thing. In fact, I saw an interview with um, A.J. Agwal, the, uh, the, the main monster actor in this picture, and he said that he didn't know the difference between horror films and regular films before being cast by the Ramses. Like, that's how little horror was established in, like, the, the general uh, audience's mind. Hmm. 
But with this movie, again, it hits at just the right time, takes off, 1984, uh, becomes a huge hit. Um, a generational date movie, as Khan describes it, uh, sets off this massive boom that uh, doesn't really subside till 92. The Ramses continue to apply their trade, tons of competitors and imitators trying to get in on the craze as well until overexposure uh, kicks in and, uh, and, and the boom dies out. Uh, the Ramses followed this movie up with 1985's Telephone. Um, 1985's 3D Samri. What? Which is obviously the, uh, yeah, the 3D uh, sequel of sorts to this movie. Well, but I thought the evil wizard was destroyed at the end of this movie. <laughs> if an evil wizard makes you enough money, there's no destroying him. He will come back. Um, there's a night, and I, I'm not also, I haven't seen 3D Samri. I assume it's Samri because it's the title uh, is the name of the character. But, you know, sometimes a movie like this, maybe it's not a direct sequel. Maybe it's a spiritual sequel. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the, there are a slew of interesting looking features that they, they came out with in the wake of uh, Piranha Mandir, including uh, Takana from 86, Verana from 88, Pirani Haveli from 89, and uh, 1990s Bond Darwaza, which is said to be quite good, more of a traditional Dracula-style film. And... After that, the well kind of dries up. One of their uh, last big films, if not their last big film, was a 1994 movie titled uh, Mahakal, which a number of you might be familiar with because it is, to be kind, a v- it, is, it is very inspired by Nightmare on Elm Street. It is at least a strong homage to Nightmare on Elm Street and features a Freddy Krueger-esque character. Um, on the cover. So I think this one has gotten some amount of traction. If nothing else, you might have seen uh, some clips or the the poster art. It uh, does have a guy with knives for fingers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you and if you're not sure, like how to spell that title and you want to look it up, just do a search for like uh, Bollywood Freddy Krueger and you'll you'll find it. All right. The screenplay on this one was written by another Ramsey, uh, Kumar Ramsey, who lived 36 through 2021. Uh, he was the screenwriter in a number of their films. Uh, this is one of those situations where, you know, the the, uh, the the brothers and the family here, they'll often draw on some of the same talent. So uh, this Ramsey also wrote uh, Samri 3D and a movie called Guest House. There are also three other contributors also credited here, but uh, I couldn't find out much about them. But there's uh, there's a story credit, there's a dialogue credit, and there's an assistant dialogue writer. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the cast. So we've we've talked about him already, but A.J. Agarwal, I believe A.J. is short for Anarud. Uh, he was born in 1949. As of this recording, uh, is, is still still out there. I think he's retired now. But yes, he plays our dark wizard of evil who's eventually going to rise from the tomb uh, and get his head back and and, uh, and go on a rampage. He only acted in three Ramsey Brothers films. He played a monster in two of them, in Piranha Mandir, of course, in the follow-up Samri 3D or 3D Samri in 85. He also played more of a traditional Dracula in that 1990 film, uh, uh, Bandarwaza. Uh, and he continued to act through 2010, um, is retired now, but mostly, just almost exclusively in Hindi films. But he does have a role in Stephen Summers' The Jungle Book from 1994. Hmm. I included a picture here for you, Joe. As you can, you can see, he's uh, playing a heavy of some sort. Um, in, in this, he's uh, standing next to uh, the, the villain holding uh, Lena Headey by the arms. Well, that's also Carrie Elwes. I know all three of these actors. I don't think I re- would have recognized a single one of them in this screenshot. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, they're very young. I mean, especially uh, Lena. She's, I wouldn't have recognized her. But uh, anyway, yeah, he's in it. He's very tall. He was like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so, uh, yeah, especially among uh, a lot of actors, he's, he's pretty towering. And he has just very pronounced features. I've, I've read this might have been due to like um, uh, some sort of uh, underlying medical condition um, as well that sort of gave him pronounced facial features. Um, also, yeah, again, very tall. And based on, uh, I read an article about him and I was looking at some, an interview conducted with him. And it, it basically, he made two goes at getting into acting before and after earning you know, like a civil engineering certificate or degree of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at both times, he didn't have any luck. Uh, until he had some sort of ill health or injury while working uh, in Mumbai. And uh, he looked even more haggard afterwards. I'm not sure if he had some sort of like facial bruising or what, whatever the case may be. But someone came up to him and said, hey, you look pretty tough. You should be in movies. And he's like, well, that's what I've, I've been trying to do. Uh, but nobody will, will hire me. And they say, say, well, you know what? You need to go talk to the Ramsey brothers because they will give you a chance. And so he went. He talked to the Ramsey brothers and the Ramsey brothers at that point were apparently six months into shooting Piranha Mandir, but they hadn't done any of the horror sequences yet. What? I I guess they didn't even have a Samri cast. Wow. And they'd leaned heavily on masks and makeup in previous films, but then in walks a man who who doesn't need as much makeup, you know, and like he's we've seen this in, you know, time and time again in various um, horror cinema periods and and. Uh, in settings where somebody comes in and they just have that unique look where you don't have to do much to them. You know, just a a, a subtle amount of makeup and right lighting and um, yeah, the right lighting and effects, and you're already in the horror realm. And that's what uh, he offered to them here. It's interesting because as we were saying earlier, this character is in no way likable or sympathetic. They just make him an absolute demon, like pure mm-hmm. evil, uh, not like charismatic or anything, except in the opening sequence before he gets transformed into a more Frankenstein type creature. Uh, the the like human Samri evokes strong uh, rock star charisma. He he kept, he has kind of a shaggy Keith Richards haircut. And mm-hmm. the back of his shirt sparkles. It's got this like sequin wolfman motif. Uh, it looks kind of like something David Bowie would have worn. And he's just like tall and has a kind of, uh, uh, you know, lead guitarist posture. I don't know. He, he seems very cool. Yeah, he's at least a head taller than, than everybody around him. At times, he kind of felt like he had kind of a Boris Karloff kind of a, a presence to him, you know. And, you know, and it also reminds me of various other, uh, you know, uh, actors with unique appearances. Uh, but yeah, very, very strong tr- screen presence from this guy. And, and it, when he shows back up, he just keeps looking more and more monstrous. And the lighting, uh, the effects are always just really on point uh, whenever he's on screen. So he's very terrifying. So that's Samri. That's our monster. Uh, but you, to have an effective monster, you have to have a bunch of, of mortals that are uh, in peril. Uh, or cursed by said monster. And so uh, the, the, the next major character uh, of note here is uh, Suman Singh, played by Ardi Gupta. Uh, she's, she's our heroine, I guess. You know, she's mm-hmm. the, uh, born uh, in, into a long line, a long cursed lineage of, of Singhs here. Um, it's, uh, it's a very charismatic performance. She's a lot of fun on the screen. Uh, the actor here, Gupta, would come back for 3D summary and also apparently produced a few films much later, including 2007's A Mighty Heart, starring Angelina Jolie. 
Yeah, I think Ardi Gupta is great. She conveys a lot of emotion, especially in the in the musical numbers, though. I was wondering, dude, do you know if the actors in this movie sing their own parts in the musical numbers or are they sort of lip singing along to professional singers? It is my understanding. And and again, I invite further uh, education on Bollywood by by anyone out there listening. But it's my understanding that it's almost it's usually not. Uh, the the uh, the actor doing the singing mm-hmm. uh, that that's added later, and I think that would make sense given that you uh, if if you have if if there's no real division between films and musicals, it just makes sense to do that. And of course, this is not unprecedented in um, in Western musicals as well. I mean, I think of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which yeah. is a, a tremendous musical, but George Clooney is not doing his own singing in that <laughs> film. And it works great in both cases. I mean, I I know sometimes for some reason people talk disparagingly about lip syncing. I think they talk about it like that when it's like a band is faking doing a live performance, just like full on trying to trick people that they're playing live. Uh, But in a movie, no, there's no problem at all. I like it. Yeah. And I imagine there are Bollywood films where at least some of the actors are doing their own singing. I mean, it it makes sense. Uh, But I, I did not get a sense of that from looking at the credits for this movie. All right, so we have uh, we have Suman Singh. She's our, our heroine. Um, her father, uh, Thakur Singh, is played by Pradeep Kumar, uh, who lived 1925 through 2001. This is uh, Suman's father, uh, a loving but overly protective father. Uh, that for, but he's overly protective for reasons that go beyond the norm and get into the realm of supernatural multi-generational curses, as we'll discuss. But Kumar here is a, a veteran Indian actor with credits going back to the late 1940s, apparently highly regarded, uh, though largely lacking in like highly successful roles. He often acted in period dramas and seems to have just always boasted a meticulously trimmed mustache, just a real, real gorgeous and stylish mustache on this man. And it's a mustache of the thin style, which I feel mm-hmm. like is hard to pull off, but it looks good on him. Yeah, kind of like a swashbuckling old Hollywood kind of a mustache. Yeah. All right. So we have the daughter, we have the father, but now it's time to talk about the daughter's secret boyfriend, Sanjay, played by uh, Manish Bell, who was born in 1961. Um, he's a he plays a lowborn photographer, but he's handsome. He's a good lad. Uh, you know, he's our lover boy. Uh, this was only his fifth credit, but he went on to act in more than a hundred pictures. I think it's interesting that they try to what seemed to me to like fit in a very standard forbidden love dynamic, uh, even though it's only like a red herring. So like mm-hmm. the, the for the first bit of the movie, um, Suman and Sanjay understand that Suman's father disapproves of their relationship because she is a rich girl. She's from a, you know, a high class family and he's middle class. He's not rich like them. So that seems like a very standard kind of uh, romance obstacle. Uh, but then there's a twist, which is like, oh, no, actually, he's opposed to their romance because there's a curse on the family. And if, you know, if she gets married, she may one day have a child and that means she will die. Uh, well, actually, she will turn into like a witch and then die. Yeah. <laughs> but it seemed interesting that it's almost like they were trying to fit like a, a second, like short romance movie into the beginning of this movie. Well, it, it lets viewers know where they stand. Um, it, it's kind of like Sons of Anarchy, right? You jump into watching Sons of Anarchy, and it's like, oh, it's like Shakespeare bikers. It doesn't really 
hold on to the the Shakespeare aspect no. of the thing for the most part. I guess it comes back towards the end, but uh, a little bit. But it still it gives you sort of an initial footing on which to proceed with the the picture or the in the case of Sons of Anarchy the the TV series. All right, we've got the monster, we've got the father, the daughter, the daughter's boyfriend. Now it's time for the boyfriend's best friend. This is the character Anand, played by Punet Isar, uh, born 1959. Uh, yeah, he plays a best friend, martial arts and personal fitness enthusiast. Uh, the actor here, outside of this, is apparently well-known in India for his role in the uh, Mahabharat TV show that ran 88 through 1990. He played Durio Hana, eldest of the Karavas, one of the two feuding houses in that epic. Uh, he's also written, directed, and produced, and is especially known for his negative roles. This is a terminology I was not familiar with until I started reading about different Bollywood actors. But apparently, like when you talk about somebody being a, like a great villain or being great at villain roles, you talk about how they're great at playing negative roles, mm. which I thought was a, a, an interesting uh, turn of phrase there. So I thought Puneet Asar was one of the highlights of the film. Actually, so my favorite stuff about this movie is sort of like the tall macho guys in it. Um, <laughs> so I like the villain. And I love Anand. Anand is so he's yeah, he's the the main dude's best friend. But in a way, it's a movie where the side, the so-called sidekick actually does most of the heroism. It's like Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, and every time Anand shows up to save the day, it it. Is, it's increasingly hilarious. There's like an amazing scene where Sanjay is getting beaten up by 12 guys or so, you know, they're all wearing <laughs> like these guys in fancy red footman's uniforms, these uh, red jackets, and they're all ganging up on Sanjay. And then suddenly Anand appears uh, sort of over the top of a mountain. He's mm -hmm. like comes up on this ridge overlooking the whole scene. And he's like, oh, my friend, and then charges down into the fracas to just slam meat just like beat beat all these guys up uh which he can do pretty much single-handedly he is the center of a number of martial arts scenes that i think are actually quite good um and there's also a really funny scene where they have a uh they're on a road trip and they have a car they have a flat tire and it's clear that they staged this just so anon could be like hey it's no problem that we don't have a car jack i'll just lift the car while you fix the tire <laughs> Yeah, and he's uh yeah, he's 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 basically the 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 action star of the film. Uh while Sanjay is the romantic star of the film. Mm -hmm. And uh Anand uh, yeah, he's a lot of fun. These martial arts sequences are cool. He's got these really long legs, so he's one of these these guys that when he's throwing kicks, it's like he he manages to kick around you and then kick you on the other side of your face kind of a thing. And he's also able to somehow pull off the leather vest over a bare chest look. He also wears a lot of fun T-shirts, but sometimes no T-shirt, just the vest. Uh, in the scene where he uh, where he intervenes to save Sanjay and beats all the guys up, I think he's wearing a sleeveless polo shirt tucked into jeans. Somehow he makes it work. Yeah. All right. Now, Anand, his character has a wife, um, and the wife is Sapna played by, and I'm mostly sure on this, she, this character and this actor was not listed in, in some of the databases I was looking at. So, like, not on IMDb. I had to go to another database. But um, Priti Sapruwalia, born 1957, I believe is the actor playing his wife. Um, 
She wishes he was a little less into martial arts and personal fitness and more into lovemaking, uh, which makes for at least one amusing sequence in the film. Um, I, you know, it's a fun performance. I think she, she has a, only a couple of scenes to really shine in, but she does shine. Oh, yeah, she's good. She, it's, it's a real bummer when the evil wizard throws her off the top of a building. Yeah, though in a way it's like, you know, she's, she's I guess she was doomed, you know, from the start. Like this, somebody's got to be killed by the monster. You've well, got to give, uh, you know, the certain plot elements have to be put in place. The two main lovers go on a road trip with their two friends to go stop the evil wizard. What do you think is going to happen to the two friends? That's true. Yeah. Now, do we have a, a creepy groundskeeper in the film? Yeah, we kind of have two of them because we also mm. have a creepy, a creepy woodcutter. Uh, the creepy woodcutter I'll mention really quickly is Sangha, played by Satish Shah, born 1951. Um, basically, he's just a scarred woodcutter who really would like a bit of that treasure. But the main groundskeeper at the at the haunted mansion where everyone ends up is this character Durjan, played by Sadashev Amrapakur, who lived 1950 through 2014. Um, he has, uh, there's something about his performance. At first, I I didn't, I didn't pick up on it, but, you know, he has kind of like a nice haunted vibe. He has kind of haunted eyes. And I, when I looked him up, apparently he made a name for himself playing villains or, or negative ones or negative roles in various films. Uh, in fact, uh, I saw a 2014 Indian Express article that called him, quote, Bollywood's most memorable villain. So, Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Not a villain in this, though. No, just more of he's the the the, the local that is a, the haunted local who knows more about goings on than uh, uh, the main characters in the in the film. At one point, he quite crucially hides a trident in a chandelier, and I did not understand why he did that, but it comes in later. He just knew that it would come in handy later. Somebody's yeah. going to need to drop this chandelier. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I guess it's just the the film logic of the thing. Now, there are a lot of other actors in this, and I'm not going to go through all of them here. I will say that we do have a, a bandit character named um, uh, Machar, uh, I believe. And he is played by this actor uh, who, went, who went by the moniker Jack Deep. Uh, this is a, an Indian actor and comedian who appeared in more than 400 films, including, uh, I think, some various Ramsey Brothers films. Uh, this is our sort of, I don't know, Benny Hill-esque misogynistic slapstick uh, specialist that is brought in for at least two, maybe three long segments of the film that are concerned only with comedy, um, that do not really connect much at all with the rest of the film, and are really difficult to watch. Agreed. I, I had read in multiple commentaries that the, the comedy segments are by far the low point of the film, and they are... Uh for the most part, extremely unpleasant, not funny, and just like a lot of jokes about sex crimes. Yeah, yeah. So it's it goes beyond like, oh, well, this is out of out of keeping with the main vibe of the picture. It's just like content wise, uh, <laughs> it's gross. So um, I would I would advise if you're just casually watching this movie, you know, feel free to get up and uh, get a snack during the comedy segments. Um, don't necessarily bother reading the subtitles during these segments and uh, feel free to skip them. All right. Finally, the music uh, for Piranha Mandir, Ajit Singh. Uh, I don't think I was able to find any dates for him, but he worked on subsequent Ramsey pictures as well, including um, Takana in 86, Pirani Haveli in 89, um, and a friendly Yeti movie that came out in 91 um, that looked pretty interesting as well. But the music in this picture is 
I guess at times it's, I loved it. It's a little abrasive. Like at, at times the, the, the synths come on really strong, uh, but I, I still can't fault it too much. Like it, it definitely gets in there and uh, it comes at you with its claws. Oh yeah. I really liked a lot of the music. There's one theme that really stuck in my head that was uh, not especially complex melodically, but it was just like a real rubbery synth tone as the characters mm-hmm. were like exploring a secret passageway. And I was, I was grooving on it really hard. Uh, Samri has a pretty strong theme as well that I, I think Omar Khan, yeah, I think it was Omar Khan compared it to uh, the, the main theme from The Omen. Uh, not that it's directly that or, or, or a reuse of that, but maybe has hit similar notes of, uh, of that score. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, so you want to talk about the plot now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so one thing is we absolutely cannot do the kind of granular commentary we do with some movies, especially like 70-minute drive-in movies, or this episode would be six hours long. Uh, And I want to say this is... Not only because this is the longest movie we've ever done, I'd also argue, I wonder if you'd agree with this, that it's in the running for the densest movie we've done, meaning that the amount of plot or stuff happening per minute of runtime is unusually high. Yeah, yeah. Everybody gets their stuff in on this film. Uh, and again, it's having to it's having to deliver all of the uh, the various spices. 
So yeah, there's a there's a lot that happens in this movie, and to just cover every bit of it, um, we, we just wouldn't have time for. And certainly, we're going to skip over stuff like the comedic segments, which you know, uh, the, the less said, the better. Okay, first of all, I like a film that begins by showing you its papers. Uh, <laughs> the first thing we see here is a is a scan of the cer- certificate from the Central Board of Film Certification of the Indian government. Uh, seem to recall seeing similar paperwork at the beginning of like uh, British movies from the 30s, like those old Alf- Alfred Hitchcock movies that show you the certificate from the British Board of Film Censors. Yeah, I agree. I really like this. It makes it feel kind of like more like a cultural artifact, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the narration begins, 200 years ago, Bijapur Sultanate was ruled by Raja uh, Hariman Singh. In those days, the fear of ghosts and demons prevailed in the hearts of people. The most feared demon of all was called Samri. And as they mention these different people, we see like painted portraits of them. Samri's portrait has a kind of purple glow, so he is emitting rays of evil magic even in painted likeness. The action begins with a historical flashback where Hariman Singh is traveling with his daughter Rupali and his retainers when his chariot breaks down. Unfortunately, it breaks down in the middle of Samri's land. Uh, and even worse than that, his daughter wanders away while the carriage is being fixed. And fearing for her life, uh, the the Raja sends his men out looking for her. Uh, they are, of course, attacked and picked off by the evil sorcerer. And I, I just want to say this again. One thing I notice immediately about the opening segment is the extremely high energy editing and pacing of each shot. So the cuts between shots are frequent and the action in each shot develops very quickly. So it's this kind of near frantic pace for the first couple of minutes. But it's not just fast, it's also loud, full of like mm-hmm. screaming and blasts of music like slamming the audio into the red. It's just a lot. Yeah, yeah. I've seen uh, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead uh, from 81 mentioned as an influence on the Ramsey brothers, as well as the the films of Wes Craven. So I don't know, maybe we see a little bit of of those influences in this editing style. It's not going to keep up at quite this pace and level of intensity for the rest of the movie. But overall, uh, uh, for this film, the Ramsey brothers do stick to a pretty fast moving and intense editing style. It always feels energetic. Things are always happening really quickly. There's not a lot of uh, establishing or waiting around. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to wait to see Samri. He's there. He's going to disappear for a while uh, for reasons that will, uh, that, that make sense. But yeah, he's there from the get go and you get to, you get a good look at him and, uh, and boy, it's, he's just a great sight to take in. As I said earlier, strong evocations of rock stardom. He's like, he is singing devil music. Um, But okay, Samri's running around. He kills all of uh, Hariman Singh's men, and then he vamps Rupali, Hariman Singh's daughter. How are we supposed to understand what happened to her? I don't know exactly. Like, he leans over her as if he's biting her, and then there's blood on her face, and her eyes look different. Uh, They're sort of like her eyes have turned white, as if she's in a a, a kind of magical trance. One thing I loved about Samri, just throughout the picture, is I never really know what the rules are with him. He's just Uh overpoweringly evil. Um, Like, he, yeah, he can drink your blood, but it's just, if he just looks at you, if you just think about him too much, you may just lose your soul. And then, 
in terms of like what he is, yeah, there's the basic uh, horror rises from the tomb, undead sorcerer aspect of the whole thing. But like, especially when he starts showing up later, I mean, he already has fangs at this point. And then later on in the movie, his body becomes even more monstrous in ways that don't line up with just pure like decay and resurrection. Like his body becomes just increasingly um, like just materially evil. Yeah, his later form is part Frankenstein, part decaying zombie and part pro wrestler. Yeah, with like some Bigfoot thrown in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Hariman Singh comes back with his full forces and they capture the demon. They capture Samri, taming him with holy things. Like there is a priest chasing him with a trishula, the, the trident of Shiva. And uh, there is an altar with a statue of Shiva, etc. And he's ultimately held in chains. They stand him up for a kind of trial while the accusations against him are read before the crowd. Basically, he did everything bad. He did murder, rape, cannibalism, all of it, all in service of his evil demonic masters. I liked how the priest is reading these charges out and finally stumbles a bit reading the charge of digging up graves and eating corpses. That doesn't seem like the worst of them. No, but at that point, he's, he, this is too far. We're not used to this one. We don't even have this one on the books. I'm not sure this is technically illegal. It's just bad manners. Now, there was a cultural and, and language question here that interested me. In the English subtitles of the scene, it says that Samri is accused of using his satanic powers to create terror among the people. It says that he slaked his satanic thirst by drinking the blood of children. And it says he is so vile that even Satan would shun him. So given the Hindu context here, and, and it seems very much in a Hindu context, like there are other scenes where, you know, there are temples, uh, temples of Shiva, people uh, offering uh, prayers to Shiva in order to help them. I kind of wonder whether they actually said satanic and Satan in these scenes. I guess they could have, because I kept hearing a, a word uh, in the, the audio that sounded like shatan. So I, I, I was just curious what's going on here. Like, what is the most direct translation of what they're saying? Because, of course, in a in the context of like a, a Christian culture horror movie, it's it's very normal, like the evil sorcerer is understood to get his powers from Satan or some kind of demonic force in the Hindu context. Where does the evil sorcerer's power? Uh, where is it understood to come from? Yeah, I had the same thought here. I thought, well, maybe maybe they're just referring to mentions of Satan in Western films, which would have obviously been an influence here. And then I was thinking, well, maybe it's there's a an Arabic loan word. Uh, at play here. Uh, I, I, I looked up to some basic stuff in translation. Again, I, I do not know what I'm doing with um, the, the Hindi language at all, but it does seem like uh, we, we do have this, uh, this term, shatan, which means devil, Satan, freaks, beasts, or demons. So I guess mm. that's what we're talking about here. Interesting. Okay. Well, again, Hindi-speaking listeners, please write in, uh, let us know. At any rate, he's done all the bad things and something's got to be done about it, right? Right. So Hariman Singh's advisors, all they argue about the best way to punish this evil sorcerer. The, the priest says, you know, why don't we burn him to ashes? That'll purify him with flame. Uh, Hariman Singh says, no, I've got a better idea. We're going to cut his head off and keep it in a different building than his body. And that way we'll know that his head and body can never possibly be reunited. There you go. Sounds like a, win, a winning plan. 
And then the holy man suggests using the uh, the the trident, the trishula, to guard his head. I think they're going to like lay it over the top of the box. Okay. Again, sounds sounds good. That's a good way to secure it. Then the prologue ends suddenly. Lightning strikes, and there are more credits. Uh, after these credits, we get the story picks up, but it's still in the historical uh, prologue. We see them leading Samri off to his fate, and then they're sort of leading him in procession in chains, and then he stops to rage at everyone. Like, he rages at Hariman Singh, and he issues a curse upon his household, which is, he says that all of his female heirs will die in childbirth until Samri's head and body are joined again. Uh, Note that in the scene they haven't been separated yet. Also, he says, on the day that his head and body are joined again, that will be the end of Hariman Singh's dynasty. I guess meaning he will destroy them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they do it. They cut his head off. And they bury the body in the ruins of a, of a temple. They say it's uh, Shankar's Polygot Temple. And they take his head to throw it in a trunk wrapped with chains. And then they hide that in the dungeon of the Raja's palace. And then they, of course, put the the Trishula, Shiva's holy trident, on top of the trunk, and they wall it up like Fortunato. All in all, a pretty great historical prologue uh, that then leads us into modern day, uh, a.k.a. you know, early 80s Bombay. Right. So we meet our modern day characters. There is uh, Thakur Ranbir Singh. He is the descendant of the Raja from the prologue. So the, the curse has passed down through his family. He's a rich man. He loves his family, but he is preoccupied with fears about the ancestral curse. There is Ranbir's daughter, Suman, who is uh, a college student. She's got a kind of sunny disposition. Mm -hmm. And her father laments her growing up because that means that she may marry and try to have children. And then the curse of Samri will kill her. Then there is Suman's boyfriend, Sanjay. Uh, Again, he is not rich, but he is handsome and brave, loyal and scrappy. And then there is Sanjay's friend, Anand, who is, this is a buff guy who cuts the sleeves off of all of his shirts. Not all of them. He's got some sleeves. Yeah, some sleeves are kept, but most of them, they just get in the way. So we see Suman and Sanjay uh, being in, in love. They go out on dates. They like go to a pool party. They go out uh, to a nightclub where there's a dancer dressed in gold. And here we get our first musical number. Yeah, this is kind of a cabaret number. The dancer is Lena Das. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty fun Indian disco-type uh, musical performance, I guess. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I turned the volume up a little bit on this one. Uh, I was thinking, though, about this nightclub here. It's a strange mix of inside. It seems cool, but also claustrophobic. I think maybe the claustrophobic aspect comes from, like, the solid black walls and what felt like a sort of low ceiling. Mm-hmm. But it's got these cool, uh, like, red bench seats and then uh, posters on the wall for movies and stuff. Like, there's a poster for Superman up on the walls. Yeah, yeah. And we also, we get a little bit of Sanjay is looking at the dancer maybe a little bit too much. And Suman is, is a little bit jealous. This is a recurring motif. Yes. Whole songs will be sung about this later on. So Suman and Sanjay are in love, uh, but Suman has to lie to her father about where she's going when she heads out on dates with him. However, her father finds out Ranbir is not pleased and he forbids her to see uh, Sanjay again. But of course, she's in love. There's no stopping her. So she's not going to just leave her boyfriend hanging. Uh, and so th- this is a an ongoing conflict at the beginning of the movie. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a misunderstanding about the reason her father forbids the romance. 
sense that she and uh, like the young people think it is a class thing that she's rich and he's not. Actually, it's a demonic curse thing, but they don't know that yet. Yeah, he won't tell her about that. He's keeping that secret. Instead, he just says things like, like, hey, our family name is not so diluted that our blood can just flow directly into the gutter and things like that. And, yeah. and of course, that just pushes her further away. He won't tell her uh, the, the real demonic curse uh, rationale that is behind his fear. But then we get like a love song on a beach or, or it's a, on rocks near the shore where Sanjay is uh, singing about his love for Suman. Yeah, and it's nice. You know, it's like just a nice music video break. Somewhere in here, we get the the first martial arts scene. And this is with, uh, okay, so the basic situation is Ranbir, again, he forbids Sanjay and Suman to date, but then he catches them together. So he sends his men, who are all dressed up in these cool red jackets, to beat up Sanjay and then on on to like comes over the mountaintop and comes over like a ridge looking down on them and runs into the rescue. And then together they, they beat up all of the uh, all of the, the bad guys. I guess they're not they beat, bad guys. I don't know. The guys working for her dad. They're just dad's goon squad that's <laughs> to beat up Sanjay. But we see a lot of signs of uh, Ron Beer's worries, like he has a freakout dream sequence with a giant beast Somri head. And this is where we start getting signs of what Somri will look like in his in his sort of undead form, which mm-hmm. is, again, less rock star and more kind of, I don't, yeah, like Bigfoot pro wrestler zombie. Yeah, just seething in darkness, just these great eyes, just in this in this pronounced brow. Uh, it's just a tremendous look. And I can just imagine uh, uh, moviegoers screaming when they see this on the screen. But eventually the curse is revealed to Suman and Sanjay, and they have a bunch more you know, back and forth about how Ron Beard disapproves of them. But eventually, like there's one scene where he's repeatedly getting a gun off the wall. Uh, But eventually he breaks down and confesses to them what's really going on. He explains the curse. And there are exchanges like uh, one that was funny was he's like, uh, you know, it's a secret. And they say, what's the secret? And he says, it's one I can't reveal. And they're like, but you must reveal it. But then when he does, it's horrifying. It's a, there's a horrifying yeah. flashback to uh, when uh, Ranbir reveals that after Suman was born, her mother was uh, transformed into some kind of devil creature with these long fingernails, these claws and like barnacles on her face. And then she died. Yeah, there's nothing. It turns out there's nothing ambiguous about it. I thought they were more setting up a situation where it's like, oh, you're, you know, your, your mom died in childbirth and there is this ancient curse thing. So I put one and two together. No, no, no. She like straight up practically explodes uh, in, yeah. uh, in, in some sort of like just awful, um, uh, you know, cursed flesh uh, type of death. And it's it's uh, it's a lot to watch. Like all the doctors and nurses run out of the room. There's no yeah, ambiguity. They're like, it's, yeah, they're like, it's out of our hands. This is straight up wizardry going on in here. So Ranbir explains to Sanjay, you know, if you really love Suman, you will leave her alone, uh, right? And so Sanjay does because he really does love her. But then it very next scene, it cuts straight to Anand is lounging on a bed or something. He's wearing a sweatshirt and he says, so you left her, you lose her. <laughs> what will she think of you now? Should we do a sidebar on uh, Anand's shirts? He wears a lot of interesting shirts. Some of them have English writing on them and interesting logos and pictures and stuff. He wears one shirt that just says Styles, and he wears another shirt that says Golden Rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Mm, Very cool. And it's weird because Anand in many ways does have a heart of gold, as we we will see. But also he is, (laughs) I don't know, he is 
in different scenes shown to be uh, vain and highly covetous of money, even doing very shady uh, criminal things to get money. Yeah, though they those occur either within or within close proximity to the comedic segments. And I'm never sure how much of that I should actually pay attention to. Like, does that count? Is that real Anand? Or is that like some different version of Anand just for the comedic segments of the movie? I don't know. Well, anyway, Suman shows up and she's got a better idea than Sanjay just leaving her. She convinces Sanjay that they should break the curse. Hey, great idea. So it's now a road trip to Bijapur, driving down the highway in a red convertible. The road trip buddies are the four of them, Suman, Sanjay, Anand, and his wife, Sapna. Yeah, so at this point, it's kind of a Scooby-Doo uh, road trip kind of a movie, which is yeah. fun. And, all, you know, on the, the trip we see, Anon is such a good friend. Sanjay is like, why would you risk your life to help us? And Anon, I think, threatens to beat him up for saying this. He's <laughs> like, hey, what are friends for? A friend has to help you break the curse on your family, even if that means laying down his own life. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is funny. Sapna is happy to come along because she is confident that the curse is just Suman's father having a delusion. So I guess it's just a regular road trip for her. Yeah. Just a chance to get out of town. <laughs> this married couple, they have extremely different ideas of the stakes of this this road trip. Yeah. He's like, I am ready to die. And she's like, I am ready to uh, see the countryside. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. 
so much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Meanwhile, Ron Beer back at home, he has visions of Somri as uh, in his kind of altered beast form and has a heart attack. He survives, but the doctors say he must rest. And I think they use this to explain why he doesn't chase after the youths to stop them on their quest. Yeah. But then we go into a part of the movie where basically the four friends are investigating the different settings. So they go to an old temple. Uh, they notice that the the statue in the temple, which I, I believe is of uh, Shiva or maybe of uh, uh, Shiv Shankar, maybe they say later, um, is uh, missing its its trident. And then, uh, you know, so they look around there. They, they have some visions of scary things. They drive around and just have encounters with scary people. Like they meet a woodcutter who just freaks mm-hmm. them out by smiling at them and holding an axe. And then finally they reach the palace and they explore that and meet uh, Durjan the Watchman who shows them around and tells them sort of the family history. And they start having repeated freaky reactions to portraits. Or I guess mainly it's just Suman that does. Like she sees a, a portrait of her ancestor and it zooms in on her eyes and it's going wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Is this the scene where the eyes follow her and they do it by yes. having clearly two separate paintings, one with eyes yeah. looking straight ahead and one with eyes looking off to the side? I, yeah, I loved it. I, I really like these scenes. Because we know, the viewer knows, that behind that painting, uh, behind the, the bricked up wall, is going to be the head of Samri sealed up in a box with Trishula. Uh, leaned against it to keep it from coming out and and wreaking havoc. The next day, there's a funny scene where uh, Sapna is annoyed because Anand won't stop doing workouts and and martial (laughs) arts. Like, he's doing one-handed push-ups and and Mm -hmm. practicing martial arts, and she's just like, wow, really, really great romantic vacation you you took me on. Yeah, this is a fun sequence, though, because then she kind of, she has this scene where she fantasizes about him... um, being more into romance and less into personal fitness, mm-hmm. uh, which which I thought was pretty fun. Then, oh my, here things start taking a left turn. Well, first, a bunch of guys from the forest attack Sapna from out of nowhere, and then Anand gets to come to the rescue and beat them all up. And then we go and meet this bandit commander who's, I think, giving the guys in the forest orders. There's, it starts with a lot of over-the-top slapstick comedy and then descends into this rivalry between the bandit and a local official in the village. This is the barely related comedic side plot that we were discussing earlier. And to be frank, as many reviewers have mentioned, I, I found it extremely unpleasant. Uh, I'm not going to make much effort to recount it, but it's a lot of jokes about like a guy not having arms and another guy who does sex crimes. Yeah, that's basically it. And they just keep driving home these plot points. And um, <clears throat> and it's it's very skippable. I highly recommend you skip it if you watch this movie. Uh, but, but it is, it really throws you off when you first hit it because when the, the bandits men show up, they have like, 
like dime store Halloween mask on the back of their head. And you're just like, what, what are, what are, what is happening? Did I switch channels somehow? Is this an error on the disc? No, you've just, you've just descended into the comedic subplot, but don't worry. You will eventually rise out of it, but then you're going to fall into it at least one more time. And then you'll fall out of it again without anything in the comedic plot ever really impacting the a plot or getting resolved. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of interaction. Like, it does develop to where the bandit and um, Anon have a have a Tuco and Blondie plot from The Good, the Bad, mm-hmm. and the Ugly, where, like, Anon repeatedly turns the bandit in for a bounty and then frees him before execution and then does it again to keep collecting money. Yeah, and in the whole time, you're just like, Anon, stay out of this subplot. You don't need yeah. to be here. Just stay in plot A with the rest of us. So in this middle section, we get some... Uh, some delivery of lore from the the watchman Durgin at the the palace. He tells some backstory about the connection between the palace and the temple. Uh, there are also sections here where it seems like maybe the heroes kind of lose track of what the road trip was for. Like instead of furiously hunting down the the body of the evil sorcerer, like Sanjay is fishing for food and uh, Suman is doing like a couple's photo shoot of Anon and Sapna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like there, there's a curse. There's a deadline here, guys. We got to we got to stay on this. Oh, but in this scene, it starts with a thing where there's a woman in the water. And at first I thought, oh, is she a mermaid? But she's like biting fish with her teeth and then trying to give them to Sanjay. Uh, and I and Suman gets jealous of this woman because she clearly is into Sanjay and she's like a beautiful local woman, I guess. Yeah, beautiful local woman that maybe, I think maybe we're supposed to assume that she's kind of a bad girl, definitely a threat to their romance. But ultimately, we're going to find out she has a heart of gold, even if she's kind of like doomed to die, <laughs> uh, yeah. like, like, like other characters in the film. General spooky doings are afoot. There's, Suman has more freakouts when looking at the portraits. And then there is the blood shower scene. Yes, I love this because, first of all, it's the middle of the night, time to take a shower. But uh, Suman also is going to take that shower in a, in a swimsuit. And, and you just know the way that the camera's zooming in on the shower head. I'm like, that, that water's turning to blood. There's no way that yep. water's not turning into blood. And, yep. of course, the water turns to blood. I knew exactly what was coming. But it's, it's a pretty fun scene nonetheless. Uh, so, yeah, she's like in, then in the tub screaming, covered in blood in the swimsuit. And then Anon and Sanjay run into the rescue and they like lift her out of the blood tub by her arms and legs and then put her directly on the bed. And I was thinking, oh, no, you're getting blood all over the blanket. That's a white blanket, y'all. Come yeah. on. But then Durgin comes in to explain that the blood tub incident proves the curse is real. You know, you've got to take it seriously now. And I think he says, you've got to talk to the locals to find out more about the curse and then intermission. Yeah. So setting up basically like if this were a game of Arkham Horror or something, the research portion of the adventure where you just got to go around talking to people and find out how the ancient evil works. So that comes into play right after the intermission, but it leads to a a lover's quarrel between Suman and Sanjay because Sanjay goes to talk to one of the local villagers. And who does he pick to talk to? Well, it just happens to be, uh, what's her name? Uh, Beachley, the beautiful woman who was bathing in the river earlier. And she's bathing in the river again. And he's like, hey, I need to, you know, talk to you about a curse. And she's like, Sanjay, I'd love you. Marry me. <laughs> he did, didn't know his, no, his way around. He, he, you're supposed to go talk to the, the haunted drunk guy, uh, old drunk guy in the village. He's the one who has the secret knowledge to share. But but no, he goes to the 
an attractive lady from the water that is also offering him drinks. Yeah. So she takes him back to her house, gives him some kind of alcoholic beverage, and then he watches her dance in front of a fire. He's clearly being uh, romantically tempted. Uh, Suman is jealous and heartbroken, and she sings. There's another musical number. She sings a forlorn song. I was wondering, did, did you detect this song maybe cutting off before the song was finished? Or I don't know. It's, it seemed like something was missing. It ended rather abruptly. Mm, I didn't notice that. I'd have to go back and look. Hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, after Sanjay finds out some more lore from the villagers, he returns to Suman and they, they reconcile. Their love is tested but remains strong. Yes. Now, later that night, uh, Suman is sleeping and then there's a, a cat scare. Like, literally, somebody throws a cat at her. Mm-hmm, uh, yep. Just jumps on her bed and the, she, like, screams and wakes up. And she's in a kind of... Oh, kind of a daze wandering around. And then she ends up stabbing the portrait of Hariman Singh that's on the wall. Uh, and after this, Anand realizes, he looks up at the wall and realizes she stabbed through the wall behind the portrait as well. And then Anand and Sanjay bust down the wall. They investigate the secret passageway within. Uh, this is the scene where I mentioned there's some really cool kind of uh, rubbery synth music. Mm-hmm. There's some cool bits like Anon gets a snake attack to the neck. A snake wraps <laughs> yep. itself around his neck and they have to fight it off. Uh, but then they find the Trishula. The, they find the trident of Shiva on top of the trunk wrapped in chains. They bust it open. Inside they find the severed head. And Sanjay concludes that it must be the head of some brave soldier and it must be there out of respect. Oh, Sanjay, couldn't be more wrong. Bad decision, yeah. But then there's like, so the woodcutter from earlier is looking on and he decides he sees the box and he thinks it's full of treasure and he wants treasure. So he comes back in the middle of the night to get treasure and instead the head hypnotizes him and turns his eyes into ping pong balls and makes him attack people. The ping pong ball eyes were were pretty hilarious. and Yeah. I don't think they were meant to be hilarious, but they're also out of keeping with what they did with other people's possessed eyes. Like they did some sort of like contact effect, I guess, with everyone else. But this guy got ping pong eyes. Yeah. And um, it's it's a questionable choice. Like Rupali's eyes were creepy looking. They like they turned white, but they were, you know, yeah. So those were different. He just has like they're like bulging and they look like plastic. Yeah. They're like, we couldn't get a hold of our contact guy for today. Uh, what else we got? <laughs> What's the, the backup effect? It's ping pong balls. This leads to a great chase scene that I loved. Yes. So it's the it's like a horse-drawn carriage with driven by the woodcutter, carrying the wizard head in the carriage, riding through the forest at night. And then Sanjay and Anand in a red convertible chasing after it. So it's machine versus horse. <laughs> it's great. But then there are also supernatural uh, environmental effects that come into play as well. That's right. So like the sorcerer's head, I think, causes a tree to fall down and block their path as they pursue the head so they can't keep up with it. Um, meanwhile, something happens in here where Durjan hangs the uh, the Trishula up on the chandelier. Yeah, unsure why. He's kind of like, I got to hide this away for later so that it can uh, play a dynamic role in the showdown or something. Yeah, uh, so the, the only logic that makes sense. So the hypnotized woodcutter, like, digs up Samri's body. I guess he knows where it is because the head has hypnotized him. Then he grabs the head. He puts the head on the body. He pokes himself with a dagger and bleeds on the neck stump. And this kind of glues the head back on. And then Samri wakes up. And now it's it's clobbering time. That's right. It is on uh, body and head. 
are back together again. His body at this point, like I alluded to earlier, it's it, the, the evil is just completely manifest. It's it's now this hairy, demonic, Sasquatch, Frankenstein creature that that ultimately really works. Like it, it, the way I'm describing it makes it sound like it's kind of patchwork and and maybe you know can't decide what it wants to be. But no, whatever it is, it is it totally succeeds as being that. It's just this yeah. this is evil incarnate. Samri is wickedness and malevolence. So yeah, he's bad. Hey, everybody, we just had to take a quick break, but we, uh, we're we back now. So if we sound different, that's why. But we, we're finishing the episode. So, uh, yeah, the plot is kind of in monster mode right now, isn't it? This is when the, the Frankenstein starts shambling around, grunting, looming, and, and killing people. Yeah, Samri has returned, has full body again has great lights and effects and synth backing him up. So it's just terrifying anytime he's on the screen. He's he's not interested in reasoning with anybody or negotiating. He is here to end dynasties. He doesn't care what has happened in the world over the past few centuries. Uh, he has a, a pretty straightforward agenda. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, he hasn't been around, so he doesn't know about the moon landing or anything. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, he's killing people. He he. Uh, unfortunately, he makes Sapna jump off the roof of the palace to her death. Bummer. I like Sapna, uh, and then Anon is obviously uh, very upset about this, so he like runs up to the roof of the palace to fight him. But Samri is gone, and from here there is a blood sacrifice subplot. The villagers decide they want to do a human sacrifice of Sanjay and Suman in order to appease the monster and save themselves. And here we get a human sacrifice musical number, which I liked quite a lot. Yeah, this one is good. I believe they're they're looking to sacrifice to Kali, and um, uh, it, it looks it looks like our uh, our heroes might be uh, might be doomed once more. But uh, someone comes to save them right in the nick of time. Right. So they're like tied up awaiting death and, you know, the drums kick in. And then suddenly here's this lady from earlier, the one uh, is her name Beachley, I think. Uh the, the one who was in love with Sanjay, like mm-hmm. he went to her house earlier and she's dancing around singing this very jolly, upbeat song about how the man she loved is unfortunately going to have his blood spilled and she doesn't want that. And then there's a string of reversals. So first of all, she comes to save the day because she uh, cuts Sanjay free and says she loves him and tries to let him free. But then he gets caught by the mob. But then her brother, who is sort of the guy leading the mob, says that he will still kill Suman unless Sanjay beats him in a sword fight. And then they get out there, they're fencing swords, and they fence for a bit. Uh, The sword fight is okay. It's not really on the level of Anand's um, martial martial arts scenes. And then at the end of the sword fight, uh, Sanjay sort of wins, but the brother tries to throw a dagger at Sanjay's back to kill him. But yet again, the sister who loves Sanjay intervenes. She steps in front of the dagger and uh, takes it for him and dies. Oh, no. Yeah, bad girl with a good heart redeems herself through death. I also like that the sword fight, like you say, is is very different from anything we've seen in the film up to that point. And it it feels like, once again, this is the a little something for everybody going on, where it's like we need to have a traditional swashbuckling act in the picture. And this is the place to situate it. Yeah, it makes sense. So anyway, Sanjay and Suman run away. The mob searches after them. Uh, You know, there's kind of a lot of running around and hiding and chasing in the woods. 
And then here comes another Anand fight. He is Anand is uh, captured by the leader of the mob, and then they uh, they there's some fighting. Anand uh, lets out some really weird martial arts moves in this fight. Like there's one where I think he steps on a guy's head. It's kind of gross. Well, he's just completely powered up with vengeance at this point. Like he's yes. more lethal than ever. Right. And so he's, yeah, he's angered by the, the death of his wife. Uh, he is motivated by defending his friends. So he's fighting super hard. And there's, uh, there's a really awesome moment where the leader of the mob tries to stab him with a dagger, but Anon grabs the dagger by the blade and disarms mm-hmm. him. Excellent. He just cannot be stopped at this point. But unfortunately, even though Anand prevails in this fight, uh, there is immediately more peril. So Sanjay and Suman are chased in the dark by Samri, the demon, and Anand comes to rescue them. He he ends up giving his life so that they can escape, just like he said he would earlier. So a true friend to the end. Mm. Samri kind of strangles him, I think, and then his eyes turn white. So now it's just our two lovers pursued by the demon Samri. But an earlier character returns. So Suman's dad is back on the scene uh, and he shows up. He's like, oh, better from my heart attack now. Um, there is only one person who can beat Samri, and that is Lord Shiva. So cut to another musical number. Now Ronbeer is singing to an altar of uh, Shiva, or I think they were also calling this god uh, Shiv Shankar which I'm not sure, but maybe like a manifestation of Shiva, maybe like Shiva, the destroyer of evil, perhaps. I'm not sure. At any rate, this seems like the the, the right call. Get Shiva yes. in on this. Um, then we're dealing with a pretty powerful supernatural evil force here. We're going to need just a little bit of help. Right. Praying for the gods' help, and we get cutaways to the surviving characters, but then also cutaways to, like, a bloody sheet, which is presumably covering up the dead body of an Anand. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, on paper, just us describing this, you might question... Uh, whether it makes sense to throw in a religious musical number this late in the film, building up to the final showdown with the monster. But I, I thought it it would work. It, I thought it oh, really yeah. worked because the musical number itself has this way of kind of revving up and has this kind of rhythmic quality to it, kind of works the people in the scene into a frenzy, uh, you know, to unleash our would-be monster slayers. And you feel a little pumped up. You're like, let's do this. Let's let's finish this up. Let's Let's get Samri. I, absolutely. I mean, as I said, again, I mean this unironically. I, I fully encourage more filmmakers to make horror movies that are seriously scary, but also have musical numbers. I think that's a great idea. Also, it's probably a good way to overpower some of our traditional Western movie villains like Jason Voorhees. How's he going to react to full blown musical numbers? He's, yeah. he's not going to know it's hit him. This is better than like psychic powers. I would love that. Yeah, fully like a religious musical number <laughs> before somebody goes up against Jason, where they're they're like invoking the power of uh, of Christ. <laughs> you know, we had something kind of similar without the music in uh, um, the Devil Rides Out. Right? They basically have a Sunday school lesson oh, before yeah. the big uh, confrontation, just to, yeah. to set everything right. We should mention, by the way, that the lyrics of the song point out the like remind the audience that the statue of Shiva is missing its trident. Uh, and this gives Sanjay the idea that the way to destroy the monster is to use the Trishula, which is uh, which, again, was hidden. It was in the hidden passage behind the painting on top of the trunk that had the head in it. Uh, and so Sanjay and Suman go looking for the trident. So there's a bunch of more scares. They're like looking around in the palace and they are screamed at by taxidermied animals. And Samri appears. He chases them around. Um, 
He is about to, in the in the very last moment, hypnotize and vamp Suman, but then Sanjay sees that the Trishula is hidden in the chandelier, and he wields it. He drives Samri into his coffin, and they trap him inside with the power of the trident, and then the villagers come, collect the coffin, take it to the village square, then they tie Samri to the stake and burn him. Huge burning fire, and the, the demon is vanquished. Yeah, they just, they burn him up, and Dad's there pumping his fist in the air as the monster burns. Yeah. Uh, in the end, Ranbir accepts Sanjay because now the threat to uh, to his daughter's life has has passed. So he, he says, I'm proud of you, son. You destroyed the curse that haunted my family for 200 years. And then this is one of those cases where he says something that he just said again, but in English. So he says in English, I'm really proud of you, my son. It's such a, it's not such a sweet ending. You know, yeah. uh, granted, a lot of people died to get us here. Um, but... Uh, but it's it's a getting back into like just the straight um, uh, family melodrama aspect of it. It's a it's a nice place to to end things. Yeah. So Sanjay and Suman, we see them married, and then it ends very abruptly. I was kind of thinking there would be a an ending music number, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but there was not. Or am I remembering right? Was there? I don't think there was. I don't think there was a a full on musical number to end it out. It was just kind of like we we end on more of a traditional note where uh, good is victorious and they kind of get a a nice snapshot of everyone together and then we close it out. So all in all, I greatly enjoyed Piranha Mandir. Uh, Again, uh, great love story, great evil wizard, uh, good, good family melodrama and stuff. Love the musical numbers, uh, comedy segments, awful martial arts. Awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, the monster is amazing. So uh, all in all, I feel like this was a pretty solid entry into Bollywood horror. Uh, so who knows? May, you know, I have to do some more research. Maybe at some point in the, the future, we'll come back and do another Ramsey Brothers film. There's also, uh, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but there was another like uh, top tier competitor to them that put out a number of, of movies as well. And some of those looked interesting. So who knows? Uh, it, it's either way. I'm glad we got to, to dive in to the cinema of India here on weird house cinema. And once again, if you want to get into, um, into some of this, uh, I have to point out there's a, there's an Instagram account for Bollywood crypt. And that was one of the first places I started looking around. I found that account and I was seeing what, uh, what this account was sharing related to Bollywood horror and kind of getting a taste for what seemed to be important. And then uh, from there, I found out about this awesome Blu-ray set uh, that's out from Mondo Macabro. Uh, I I recommend checking that out. And if you're in Atlanta, like I say, you can go to Videodrome and and, and rent some of these bad boys. Um, They just got them on the shelf. All right, we're going to close the book here, but we'd love to hear from you out there. Uh, Again, if you have uh, experience with Bollywood cinema in general, Bollywood horror specifically, or, or, uh, you know, particular memories or, uh, or things to share about Piranha Mandir, uh, let us know. We would love to hear from you. In the meantime, we'll also remind you that, uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind is primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Mondays, we do Lister Mail. On Wednesdays, we do the short form artifact or monster fact episode. And on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. You can look us up on Letterboxd. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D dot com. We have an account there called Weird House. And we have a nice list of all the movies we've covered over the years. Uh, you can pull them up and you can also organize them in neat ways. This is how I was able to really quickly see like what is the longest film we've ever covered and what is the shortest. Uh, without a doubt, Purana Mandir is the longest, but only beats out Blade by 20 minutes. All right. Uh, huge thanks to our excellent audio producer, JJ Posway. 
If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.